0: So what we're going to do is we're going to start in the beginning as we did last week, uh, which addresses God's, you know, perfect design and intent for family. Uh, and then what we'll do is we'll we'll go through the scriptures and look at the key verses, okay? So let's let's get into this. First of all, I guess my premise, the thing I'm going to try to prove to you uh, in regard to the responsibility of parents, it is this. Uh, to know God intimately yourself and to make him known to your children. Okay. Now, that is, of course, very basic, uh, but we, uh, we need the basics. It's the gist of, of all that God has called us to do as parents. We'll hopefully, uh, not hopefully, we're going to unless the Lord returns, which I'll take both, but unpacking all of these things in practical ways, that's, that's the intent. Today, though, it's, it's all foundational stuff, uh, like it was last Sunday, and then we'll begin to build on it uh, as time goes on. So let's, let's lay the foundation here. Uh, some responsibilities of marriage, we talked about it last week, uh, was procreation. But then there's also instruction. All in Romans, or not Romans, but Genesis 1. Now the first one comes as an imperative. Uh, and the second follows by implication. And here it is in, in uh, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful. And multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, in this verse, there's actually five uh, imperatives. And by the the term imperative, I mean commands. There's five commands. God immediately gives the first couple a number of responsibilities. These are the imperatives. Uh, Be fruitful. As we said last week, Calvary Chapel is the champion fruitfulness, multiplying, it. we're contributing, we're working hard to fill the earth. The other one is, uh, the other two is subdue the earth and have dominion over it. So I mentioned last week that married couples were given two responsibilities, the the procreation mandate and the dominion mandate. Nothing has changed uh, for the context of parenting. Uh, Parenting falls under uh, these same two umbrellas. Uh, They're just umbrellas. Now, I hope first of all, that it's obvious to you that while these commands were given directly to Adam and Eve, it was not for them to accomplish all by themselves. You get that, right? I hope so. Uh, These commands were passed down from, were rather, were to be passed down from one generation uh, to the next as the earth was being filled, as the earth was being uh, ruled. These commands were actually to them and to their children and to their children's children and so on. So, let me clarify a little more. Eve was not personally responsible for having all the children needed to fill the earth, which I think, I think she's probably, she was thankful for, especially after the intrusion of sin, okay, which I've heard has significantly reduced the fun factor in child rearing. Okay? That would be a busy lady and uh, not a lot of fun. So Adam and Eve were to be fruitful. They were to multiply as a couple, which would be their contribution to filling the earth. But filling the earth was not for them alone to accomplish. This was meant to be a collective effort. This is also true of the the dominion mandate. Adam was not personally responsible for taking dominion over the entire earth and everything in it all by himself. Uh, Adam, or rather Genesis 2, we find there that uh, he was given dominion over the garden. It was for someone else, many others, to have dominion over the other parts of the earth, like the sea and all that was in it. So it was by implication that God was instructing Adam and Eve so that they wouldn't instruct their children. It's not stated as a commandment. It's just implied in the text. Be fruitful and have dominion. So in conclusion, these are, the, these are the responsibilities of marriage regarding our children. Have babies to instruct our babies. Now, before I move on with this, I want to talk about two things. How many of you have wondered how many babies should you have as a couple? Perhaps you've been pressured to have lots of babies. I don't know. Uh, And then what if a a couple can't have babies? So first, how many babies should a Christian couple have? Should we have as many as we can? Should we have as many as we can? Or should we have as many as the Lord leads? The doctrine that Christians should have as many children as they can is called by some uh, open-womb theology which essentially says that as long as you are able to have babies, you should be having them because God has not closed your womb. Now, this position uh, does not come from any specific commandment in Scripture, but more from a line of reasoning uh, from what may may have been practiced by some in the Bible. So rather than these passages being a, a prescription or a commandment from God, Uh, Those passages show what some people may have done or even believe themselves. It's not prescribed by God, but it may have been practiced. And some people say, well, what's the difference between uh, description, we would say, and prescription? What's the difference between what we see described in the narrative of Scripture and what God actually prescribes by commandment? Well, if we do everything we see practiced in the Bible, uh, we will be arranging the marriages for our children, which I'm not completely against, okay? Um, We'll we'll perhaps rather marry our close relative, our half-sister, our first cousin. No thanks. Uh, We'll be shepherds mostly. We'll dig our own wells and so forth. You understand. Uh, All of those are practiced in Genesis even, but none of them are commanded. We are commanded to have children, but the scriptures do not command us to have them until we cannot. No commandment anywhere in the scriptures. Now, if you believe that God has called you or, and your spouse to have as many children as you can, I actually think that's great. I think it's wonderful, and I believe that you should do that. Uh, I believe that if God has called you to that as a couple, you have an obligation to do it, so have them. Okay? I love big families. Um, I don't have a huge family. And we're small time in this church for the size of families. Okay? But if God is not leading you to do that... Same thing, I would tell you to avoid it, to avoid it, yeah. Whatever God leads you to do, it's between you and the Lord. Now, to add to this, it's interesting to me that in the New Testament, uh, there is no instruction to even have children. It's absent, it's an omission. There's only instruction about training the children that we have. Now, why is that significant? Because the Roman world definitely did not have an open womb perspective. Well, so what? Well, In the first century and even after, uh, the Gentile churches did not have the Old Testament scriptures from which we supposedly get open womb theology. But if open womb theology is a significant part of family theology, why didn't the apostles teach it to the Romans, to the Greeks, to the Gentiles? They didn't have the Old Testament scriptures to learn it from, and the apostles didn't teach them. You understand the argument? So let me be clear. Christians should most certainly have children. That's a commandment from God, okay? But there is no command in the Bible to have as many as we can, okay? Yes, children are an inheritance from the Lord, and happy is the man whose quiver is full of them, Psalm 127. But again, this is just a statement. It's a generalization. It's not an imperative. There is no command in that text. Also, this saying is not always true. The statement is not a guarantee. Not to everyone with a lot of children are happy because of it. Some people are miserable. Okay, Now, for my wife and I, uh, just from personal experience, we originally didn't want children. Uh, no offense to my children. Uh, it's just the truth. Uh, we didn't want to share each other with anybody else. And so we didn't have children for the first six years of our marriage. But, as we grew in our understanding of the scriptures, guess what? We understood that we had to have children. Okay, And with that, with that, that understanding, God gave us That in our hearts, we then wanted to have children, and so it was a race to have as many as we could before we were 40. Uh, Why 40? I have no idea, Uh, but I do know that Shandy was pregnant all through her 30s. (laughs) But for us, for Shandy, uh, every pregnancy was uh, becoming worse and worse and worse. Uh, There were greater complications with each of them. So we sought the Lord, and we believed that the best thing was to stop, was to stop. I was also under the conviction that the most loving thing to do uh, was help my wife not feel obligated to have any more as she was being pressured by some to have more from open wombers. Okay? Uh, I wanted more, but I wasn't willing to, uh, to bet on my wife's well-being. Okay? And uh, so that's, that's why we stopped having children. So if you are an open boomer, uh, that's fine by me. Please do not impose that on other people. If you have a direct command from Scripture to have children until you can't have any more, if you can find that text for me, I will repent and I will teach it. I'm okay with whatever the, the Scriptures say. Okay, but until then, uh, have that conviction to yourself and keep having babies. Okay, keep having babies. Uh, for those of you that aren't led that way, just keep seeking God and uh, and He'll lead you. He's faithful. So let's let's move on. Um, As I said, I also want to say something to those couples who cannot have children for reasons out of their control. Now, I could get into a big sticky mess with all of this, so I'm going to stick it to this right now. And uh, if there's another circumstance or scenario in your life, please come talk with me. We'll, We'll hopefully be able to work it out. But I want to talk to those right now who cannot have children for reasons that are out of their control. We need to understand that that sin has done so much damage to our world, but it's also done a lot of damage to our bodies. And for some, it's made it impossible for them to have children, at least humanly possible. And and understand, my heart breaks for you. A friend of mine once said to me, you know, it seems like people that shouldn't be having children have them, and those who desperately want children, who are qualified to have them as believers, cannot. It's heartbreaking, okay? I think few things injure the soul, like wanting children but not being able to have them, okay? And then watching families around you thrive, and it it is heartbreaking. So listen, if you cannot have children, if you cannot have children, the procreation mandate does not apply to you. It does not apply to you. But some might say without any biblical authority that you could or even should fulfill the procreation mandate by way of adoption. No, you shouldn't and you can't. Adoption is adoption, it's not procreation. And no one has the authority to say that adoption can meet the mandate. You understand, there is no mandate in the scriptures to adopt, so adoption cannot be a substitute for God's command. Adopting children is most virtuous, and I encourage people to do it uh, by God's leading, but it does not somehow satisfy the procreation mandate. If you can't have children, and you're being pressured by well-intended people to adopt, tell them that you will take it to the Lord. They are not the Holy Spirit, and they really need to butt out of your life when it comes to that stuff, okay? Uh, And if you're afraid to tell them that, I will, okay? I will. Also, I know that according to some traditions, according to some traditions, the whole purpose for marriage is procreation. And if it's not the whole purpose for marriage, it's considered the primary purpose. But you can't have children, so what would be the purpose for your marriage? Well, Procreation is not God's stated purpose for marriage. Procreation is a responsibility of marriage, but it is not the purpose for it, not according to God. And so if you cannot have children, it does not diminish the purpose for your marriage. It does not make your marriage a second-class marriage. God's purpose for your marriage is to glorify Him through companionship, through relationship. Okay? God knew in advance that you would not be able to have children. And listen... He didn't have a second thought about ordaining your marriage. You understand? He didn't have a second thought. He called you together for His glory and for His purposes. So glorify Him by being the greatest companions you can be, showing others what a Christ-exalting marriage is all about. Okay? The procreation mandate applies to those who can procreate, not to those who cannot. Would we please as a body show grace to people? If you're going to speak for God, You better have a text from God. Yeah. So to those that cannot have children, just enjoy being heirs together of the grace of life. Yeah. But for those who can have children, as you see on the screen, we not only have the responsibility to have them, but to instruct them. As I said, the responsibility to have children is clearly stated in the passage before us. Okay. While the the responsibility to instruct them is implied, but that is not the case everywhere in the scriptures. Okay. After... God God called Abraham. Look at what he said to him. He says, for I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord and do righteousness and justice. That's the first real clear statement in the scriptures about child rearing. And God is saying that his relationship with Abraham was not simply an end in itself, but for the purpose of raising up future generations that would keep the ways of the Lord, that would do righteousness and justice. Now we know that this would be the nation of Israel through whom God would then bless the whole world with the gospel of his son. So God knew Abraham so that Abraham and his descendants would know God. That's what it's about. Okay, That's true of every believing parent. God has a relationship with us, not for our sake alone, but that through our instruction and example and faith, our children might know the Lord okay, and walk in step with Him. We have to never forget that God created us uh, to be in relationship with Him. He created marriage so that we could be in relationship with another, one another, and He gave us children so that we could be instrumental in bringing them in relationship with Him. Relationship is kind of important, isn't it? God's implied will for parents in Genesis 1.28 is his obvious will here in Genesis eighteen nineteen, and his intent for this only grows as we go through the Scriptures. Now consider Israel's uh, great confession of faith. Some of you guys have heard of the Shema. If you ask an Orthodox Jew, hey, uh, give me the Shema. You're saying, give me the confession. The word Shema means to, to, to listen up. This is what it says, Deuteronomy 6, 4-7. Hear, O Israel, that's Shema. The Lord our God, the Lord is one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. When Jesus was asked what is the greatest commandment, guess what he did? He gave them the Shema. Okay? And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise So the the, the Shema says that we must love God ourselves, and God's word must be diligently taught to our children. We must be loving God ourselves, and then we must be teaching our children to love God by bringing them under the, the, the tutelage of the scriptures. He has called us to know him intimately and to make him known to our children. At every opportunity, as the text says, when we sit with our children in our homes, when we walk with them at night, when we lie them down, in the morning when we start our day not just on Sunday morning but every day in the home every day in the home now i want you to notice this the text is not referring to any corporate meetings like church services but the habitual routine and habits of our home everyday life doing life together in the word of god okay parents responsibility before god as it applies to the home now i want you to notice something else this is not a narrative it's not describing what some people did, some of God's people. Okay, this is a command for parents. It's not indicative. It's imperative. It's not a description. This is a prescription. Now, this whole confession of faith has everything to do with knowing God personally and making him known to our children. Now, I'm not going to exegete the whole passage today, uh, but I think it's quite easy to understand. It's, it's quite clear. Okay. Now, everywhere you look, from the time that God redeemed Israel from Egypt... And then he brings them to the borders of the promised land. He is saying to them, be sure that you tell these things to your children as a memorial. Have you noticed that that kids ask questions? Who do you think put that in them? He says over and over and over again, when your children ask you, hey, what's this rock all about? What's what's this thing all about? Why do we have this feast? Why do we have this, really, why do we have these parties? You to give them an answer. And then multiple times in Deuteronomy, as Israel is there on the, the border of the promised land, God said to be sure to teach my word to your children and to your grandchildren, Deuteronomy 6, 2. Teach the history to your children, Deuteronomy 4, 9 through 10. Teach them to love and obey me, Deuteronomy 6, 7. And again, model and teach them, model and teach them, model and teach them, Deuteronomy eleven nineteen 19 and 32, 46. So God wants his word to echo through all generations, for our kids, our grandkids, until the Lord returns. The Word, the authority, the inspiration, the sufficiency. Consider the the words of Asaph in Psalm 78. This is great. It's a contemplation of Asaph. He says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known. And our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Psalm 78, 1 through 7. I would like to have met Asaph. But you see that that's, you take the Shema and then you, you kind of unpack it a little bit. And what's it about? It's about knowing God and praising God and then passing that on to our children, that they would know God, that they would praise God, and that they would pass that on to their children, this multi-generational faithfulness. That's the great responsibility that we have. That's the family theology, the context of parenting, knowing God, loving him, making him known to our children so that they would repeat what we've done for them. It's no different in the new covenant. Paul says in Ephesians 6, 4, he says, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Do not exasperate them, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now, this passage for us as new covenant people is very important, not only does it get specific in regard to who primarily bears the responsibility of training children in the home, it tells us that all of life should be governed by the Lord. It's hidden in one of the words there. Okay. Now, as we explored last week, the dominion mandate was given to Adam and Eve, Okay, but dominion itself was given to Adam, and then Eve was created, and she was placed under his dominion to help him forgive, fulfill God's purposes. So, so we don't forget as a culture what, what biblical dominion looks like. A husband's rule is to be characterized by loving his wife, providing, protecting, cherishing, understanding, modeling, and leading. Okay? We don't take the concept of dominion from our culture and then impose it on the scriptures. Because when we think of dominion, we have a bad taste in our mouth. Okay? Don't use English, American, Western concepts and impose them on scripture. They're very different. So that's to be the husband's dominion. Well, as soon as children come into the picture, this same dominion, this same covering of the husband is extended over the children with his wife as his helper. But fathers, the text is very clear. This primarily falls upon us, primarily, unless there isn't a father in the home. I grew up without a father, and so my mother had to assume that role, and uh, she's amazing with a lot of God's grace But that should not be the case when the father is present, especially if he's a believer. Understand, it is sinful for him to leave this to his wife. If that's the case in your home, I pray that you would repent and that you take the lead as the Scriptures command you. Paul makes it clear, and you fathers take the lead in child-rearing. When we look back another chapter, we see very clearly that he called the husband to lead the family, Ephesians 5, 25 through 33. Now he calls them to lead the children, Ephesians 6, So how does he establish dominion for the sake of his children? How does he do that? Well, in the Old Covenant, the father was to train his children in the law of Moses. But in the New Covenant, fathers should bring them up in the training and admission of the Lord, who is Christ. The law of Christ, the gospel, the things of the New Covenant, that is the source of a father's training and admonition. And Of course, we're not dismissing the Old Testament literature. It's inspired by God. It's authoritative. It's sufficient, but it's the new covenant that we are constituents of. Now, I mentioned that uh, there's some things embedded in one of the words. It's the word uh, "training" in the text there, paidei in the Greek. It's actually, it's it's, 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 it's the word encompasses so much. It has the word has to do with with um, taking a Greek child and then incorporating all of what it is to be Greek into their training. So you're you're raising them up. You're preparing them for all things Greek, all things Hellenism. Okay. But Paul is applying that concept to the Christian faith. He's saying that it is the father's duty by the help of the mother to ensure that their children are being prepared for all things Christian, for all things Christian. The word of Christ would be addressing and governing every area of life. It's interesting. We, we often criticize the Muslim world for Sharia law which essentially is that the Quran and all of religious life is life. Now, of course, we don't agree with Sharia law. We don't agree with the Quran and and the other things. But understand, we have our own thing, and that's the scriptures. And God has called the scriptures to govern all of life. It should be addressing all the issues of life. It should be confronting them, and it should be bringing everything in our lives into submission to the scriptures. We have our own. We have our directive from God, and it's called His word to paideia, to train our children in all things Christian so that they would know God intimately, so that they would love God and obey his word, and they would make it known to others, especially to their own children. Now, it's the practical ways of doing that that uh, we're not covering this morning. Okay, but that is the objective. That's our goal as uh, we make this a part of the, the regular activity of our church. Uh, I want to close with this because I want you guys to be thinking Maybe leave you on the edge of your seat in regard to these foundational things. Everything that we've studied today, as we've said, places all of the responsibility on the parents and it flies in the face of a particular church tradition. And you know how I love church tradition, okay? And I want this is what I want you to chew on until it digests well. It comes with a question. Where in all of this, or anywhere in the scriptures, do we see this responsibility? placed on the church's Sunday school program or the Sunday school teachers. You don't. Not one time. And yet most churches are scrambling to fix their Sunday school problem as the solution to the problem of kids leaving the faith and never coming back. It's the wrong focus. And parents, typically, when they're looking for a church, do not look for what they ought. I'm not accusing anybody in this church of doing this, but... Typically, their priority is not the theology and practice of a church, which is God's priority, but it's the quality of the Sunday school program, how entertaining it is, and how much their children enjoy it. They do this, parents do this, because they have been convinced themselves that the church is responsible for their children training them in the admonition of the Lord. Now listen, the solution is not a better Sunday school program or a better youth program. The solution is to disciple our parents and equip them so that what the scriptures teach can be taught and modeled in the home. This is what our objective is here at Calvary Chapel. Because God has not designed or equipped the church for what can only be done in the home, under the leadership of a father who loves God and who loves his wife and wants nothing more for his children than to have them love him. Only the home can truly accomplish that because that's the way that God has designed it. Okay. Now, our Sunday school program is intended to complement, to complement, never to replace a parent's duty. Okay. The church's role, according to Ephesians four, is to equip saints, not do the work for saints. Amen. Okay. I'm going to close with that. Next week, we're going to get into the introduction to Matthew. I'm excited to get into the gospel with you. And um, all right. Uh, if anyone has any need for further ministry, uh, the elders and I would love to pray with you. If you have questions about anything I've said, I would love to discuss those with you. So there you have it. Go ahead and stand up, and we'll pray. Got you out a little late. All right, Father, we love you, and you are a good Father. And so, Lord, we need your direction. We need your word to confront us, to instruct us, to shape us, Lord, that we might fulfill the the purpose for, for which you've called us, you've raised us up. And, Lord, my heart's desire is that that we as a, a fellowship, Lord, would be, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, that we would be being further conformed to that perfect man who is Christ, that we would be growing in faith and understanding, that we would be applying the things that we learn, not just in the theology of the family, but a, a theology of evangelism and, and, uh, and what life is in general, Lord. But I just pray, Lord, that we would submit ourselves collectively to you, to the teaching of your word, and that, your Lord, your good pleasure would be worked in us and through us for your glory. Lord, thank you for my church family. I thank you that they, they, they bear a lot of things for me. And I just pray that you grant them grace and you encourage them. And Lord, the day by day, all of us together, Lord, that we would just walk closer with you. So bless them this week, I pray. Encourage their hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Lord, bless you guys. Bless your day.